Okay, real talk. When did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Like, say I want to see what you're doing and who you're hanging with, and you're not posting about it on your story. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's weird. You do that? No, I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends, and then use that money to buy something at a store with Apple Pay. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Maybe. Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And July, as we've mentioned is Disability Pride Month. And while it's not recognized on a federal level, it is celebrated across the United States and has been since 1990, in part as a celebration of the passing of the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, on July 26th of 1990. The first Disability Pride Parade was held in Boston. And the Disability Pride flag was designed by Anne McGill, who herself is a woman with a disability. And so if you've seen it, it's a, a flag that's got like a black background and multicolored stripes on it. Um, and from Stony Brook University, this is what the flag represents, the colors. The black field represents the disabled people who have lost their lives due to not only their illness, but also to negligence, suicide, and eugenics. Each color of, on this flag represents a different aspect of disability or impairment. Red, physical disabilities. Yellow, cognitive and intellectual disabilities. White, invisible and undiagnosed disabilities. Blue, mental illness, and green, sensory perception disabilities. So for this episode, which is going to be a, a bit of a shorter episode and is related to a project we're working on, this mysterious project we keep So teasing. many, so many <laughs> mysteries. So many mysteries. You know we love to be mysterious. But we did want to talk about it because uh, the ADA largely came came to be because of women and largely women of color who were active in the disability movement and the feminist movement. And yeah, they were just huge in, in getting getting this done. Uh, and so in this month, while we're celebrating the passing of that, we wanted to highlight some of the people in the movement and some of their accomplishments. But for sure, there are a lot of um, different paths we could go down in future episodes and a lot of amazing people we could talk about and a lot of amazing things that have been accomplished. So just put that out there. Right. And of course, there's a lot of things that needs to be addressed, uh, mm -hmm. but we won't talk about that because we're going to talk about 
the history, not negativity. So (laughs) (laughs) the women have long been foundational to the disability movement. We're going to start in the 1970s, which is when we see a lot of women really coming together around disability rights. And this was the time of a lot of social uh, turmoil and change, uh, like the civil rights movement and the women's liberation movement. But a lot of it was siloed. A lot of the people involved in these movements weren't quite intersectional yet. And a lot of these movements weren't accessible and very exclusionary, which is something we're still talking about today. As a part of this, early women disability rights often focused on taking feminist resources and activities and increasing accessibility, like recording feminist materials for the blind or visually impaired, and making feminism more inclusive. Yes. Um, Also around this time, Marilyn Hamilton invented the first lightweight adjustable wheelchair called the Quickie. Uh, Compared to previous models, it was highly adjustable and maneuverable. And this improved the lives of numerous wheelchair users and changed the world of wheelchair sports. But now it is time to discuss Judith Judy Human, one of the most significant and impactful of these 1970s disability rights activists. Human contracted polio when she was a baby. As a child growing up in Brooklyn, she was forbidden from going to a local public school because officials declared her use of a wheelchair made her a, quote, fire hazard. And this wasn't the first time she heard that excuse either. Um, It was also used to prevent her from obtaining a teaching license in 1970. So she sued the Board of Education of the City of New York and won. She became the first wheelchair-using teacher in the city. And later that year, she started her own disability rights group named Disabled in Action. And soon after that, she moved to Berkeley, California, alongside other activists like Kitty Cohn, Brad Lomax, and 100 others. Human helped lead a 25-plus day sit-in at a federal building in San Francisco in 1977, protesting the government's inability to consistently enforce Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. Basically, the act prohibited federally funded programs from discriminating against people with disabilities, and it was something that human was instrumental in as well. It was one of the first legislations protecting the rights of people with disabilities on the federal level. And this was an instance of some intersectionality. For instance, the Black Panther Party made sure protesters had warm food. Right. And that wasn't the only reason why this was a huge deal. It was also intersectional in the sense that it united folks with a wide spectrum of disabilities, people that may have previously been separated out from each other. On top of that, this sit-in was broadcasted nationally, which really raised awareness around disability for others who may have otherwise not known too much about it. When asked about this event, Human would later say, it empowered us. Simply put, we were slowly moving from being a ragtag, unorganized group of disabled people to a cross-disability movement. We were really recognizing that it was possible for us to envision a day when barriers of discrimination could be torn down. Without the voices of disabled individuals, we would not have gotten 504 the way it ultimately came out, nor would we have been able to get the ADA. In 1983, Human co-founded the World Institute on Disability, served in both the Clinton and Obama administrations, and was the first advisor on disability and development for the World Bank. At the time of the sit-in, many companies had an unwritten understanding that they weren't going to hire people with disabilities, and some local governments outright prohibited it. To make things worse, accessible housing and buildings weren't really a thing either. And as we've discussed before, There was a really ableist, infantilizing attitude that it wasn't safe for people with disabilities to live alone. Mary Lou Breslin, a disability activist with polio, said that the mindset at the time was, don't ask for accommodation, fall down the stairs if you need to, pretend that you're not disabled, eschew everyone with a disability. Right. 
And the sit-in prompted the Carter administration to sign 504, but again, it wasn't always enforced. And honestly, I don't think it's still enforced completely today. This was a big part of the fight to pass the Americans with Disability Acts, or the ADA, in 1990. Uh, Like with pretty much everything we talk about, this was the result of the tireless work and efforts of numerous activists and was built off of other legislations. So we're going to talk about a few of them, including Patricia Wright, a legally blind woman who was so instrumental in getting the ADA passed, she was called the general. And she'd long been in this movement and served as Hume's assistant at that sit-in, and she was inspired by her to continue in her legacy and advocacy. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. Uh, and this brings us to another huge event in the fight for the ADA, often called one of the biggest turning points in the push to get it passed, the so-called Capitol Crawl on March 12, 1990. Over 1,000 protesters participated, including at least 60 who left their wheelchairs, crutches, and other mobility devices to crawl up the Capitol's 83 steps to demonstrate the lack of accessibility. One of the faces of that protest was an eight-year-old girl named Jennifer Keelan. Uh, Keelan, who had cerebral palsy, told reporters, I'll take all night if I have to. Love it. Did you ever see any of the clips of the crawl? Because it's inspiring. Like, oh my God, the level that they went to in order to be heard. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's sad that it has to get to that point. And also, even now, I know I've seen many activists going to the Capitol, sitting in front of the Capitol, asking to be heard. (sighs) And that was just recent. Yep. Yep. Okay, I'm okay. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. 
my friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So the ADA was signed with bipartisan support on July 26, 1990, making it illegal to discriminate against people with disabilities in areas like school, employment, and transportation. It transformed public spaces, requiring things like automatic doors, braille on signs, entry ramps, lifts on sea buses, and a curb cuts. With its passage, the U.S. became the first country in the world to guarantee by law the protection of civil rights for people with disabilities, and it impacted something like 43 million people. And again, as we mentioned in our episode on invisible illness that we did with Eves, a lot of people are unaware of the full extent of the ADA and what it covers. And here's a definition of a person with a disability that they work off of. Quote, has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities, has a record of such an impairment or is regarded as having such an impairment. And this includes invisible disabilities. And as we've often discuss, it's really damaging how our media has historically portrayed disabilities in one way or the other that has led to toxic layered prejudices on how we believe someone with a disability should look. And again, see our episode with Kate for more discussion on that and our book club with Kia Brown's The Pretty One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And there are so many pieces of this conversation. For example, many in the disability activism space argue that everyone is temporarily able-bodied, or TAB, TABs perhaps, (laughs) which means that the disability community is quite possibly the largest and most diverse minorities in the world. If you are an able-bodied person and you fall and you break your leg, you're going to be really happy for those ramps, for instance. As with everything we talk about, the ADA is not without its problems. One of the big ones is that it mostly depends on someone filing a complaint if an entity isn't complying with the ADA. And that means time and resources that not everyone has. So essentially, like, now you could sue, but you have to sue. (laughs) Or like, now you have to go through that thing. And you're legally protected to do it, but you still have to take that step. Also, yeah, you have to get a lawyer. More often than not, because a civil suit is really hard to file without knowing legalese. And Mm -hmm. we understand that hiring a lawyer can be expensive because not often that whole pro bono thing doesn't work out like you think it will. Yeah, yeah. So it's a whole, it's a whole process um, for sure. And I know like in, in Atlanta, in my neighborhood, it's an ongoing battle about the sidewalks because there are sidewalks, but they suck. Like they're broken, don't work. And I've heard people complaining about like, you know, I've had to file for this and nothing gets done. So that is certainly a problem. Um, Some activists think that the ADA shouldn't be the primary focus of the disability rights movement because it reinforces the narrative that the value of a person comes from what they can or can't contribute to a capitalistic system, a system which is already set up to punish those who can't succeed in it, even though it's set up so everyone can't succeed. 
Others rightfully point out that by focusing on physical accessibility, it potentially leaves out those with severe impairments and chronic illness. And visible disability is a part of that as well. Like even though it's protected, kind of the focus of it, like I was surprised when Eve's told me that, that it was protected under the ADA because you just don't hear about it um, as much. And so some activists believe we should be doing more work to raise more awareness around things like that and also intersections of disability and sexual oppression and denial of rights when it comes to things like family. Um, And these are all important and ongoing discussions. And there are some really amazing people that we found doing the research for this one. Um, And the art world especially stood out to me who are really pushing these conversations forward and definitely want to check them out more in the future. Right. Um, Yeah, and I think we need to come back and look at, once again, what it looked like during the pandemic because we've talked about it a little bit and we've only, like, did a blip on the fact that this was such a huge, huge ableist conversation for people when it came to COVID and masks and pandemics and accessibility and who does what. Um, And it brought a big spotlight on it, but the reaction wasn't what you would think. It wasn't with empathy. It was literally just a survival of the fittest. And we need to have more of that conversation because we know we're not over these viruses coming through. We know that seasons are going to happen and we need to make take a better look about why we're so quick to say people are expendable instead of truly being for life and advocating for that, as well as re- remembering that, yes, a lot of these things seem really nice for those able bodies working from home, all these things yeah. may not be the greatest for those who have an, a disability. So, yeah, I think yes. we need to come back and revisit and do a spotlight on that. So recently, the ADA has been under attack, as have protections for those with the pre-existing conditions here in the U.S. Again, we talked about this is one of those things that we need to talk about mm-hmm. when it comes to things like pre-existing conditions and insurance. Renewed conversations around things like eugenics during the COVID-19 panic has risen too, as we heard stories of hospital workers instructed to dole out limited numbers of ventilators to able-bodied people over people with disabilities. Yeah, there's this whole level of choosing again and who they think are is worthy of surviving, and it's kind of this ugly, ugly look and precedent that's just over the top. Um, and then if you have ageism played in, we have mm-hmm. racism played in, there's mm-hmm. so many things. Um, and, uh, you know, having this conversation on a bigger level, bigger scale, because it's only getting worse, especially as we look at overturning of things in the Supreme Court, it can impact accessibility and the right to get compensation and civil uh, suits as mm-hmm. it's been under attack recently. Yeah, yeah. And we've also talked a lot about the, you know, sexism inherent of doctors not believing women. And then if you get the ableism on top of that and the racism on top of that or even the homophobia on top of that, like all of those things. So I feel like during the pandemic, we got, it was exacerbated. Like it's always been there. It's not new at all, but it was like really seeing this attitude of like, you're just exaggerating, I don't believe you, or like, change your diet, like, really condescending stuff from professionals. Right. I mean, it seemed this whole, like, is good for you, but it's not good for me type of mentality. And what I'm talking about specifically is masks. This whole idea of, like, well, just stay home, which is Mm -hmm. such an ableist idea and such an ableist privileged mean comment to anyone who is susceptible or compromised. Um, Again, this goes into every level of anyone. I would say, like, I I was upset for my parents, but that is that same scale of I'm worried because they're going to be compromised and no one's willing to give a little bit to help others. And it's this whole idea of like, well, if they can't 
they can't uh, take it, oh well, um, until it actually affects them. And it's just a whole level like that was a whole level of privilege that you didn't understand that was already existent, especially in the world, in the disabled community who's been screaming, this is a problem. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't find any like really good numbers, but based on what we know about uh, women and, and mental health and diagnoses in that area, and, th- and that's complicated. We've had that conversation before, but women are more likely to, I think, uh, have something under that would be projected under the ADA. So it is, it is a big conversation and it is complicated because we've also talked about a part of that is Maybe men don't go in to get things diagnosed, but women also have a harder time getting things diagnosed a lot of times. So it's, yeah, it's a mess. This episode is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, temp to hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242-424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do find this missing girlfriend and tell her story with the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one like my producer Anna oh my god my friend Dr. Mindy Shapiro hi it's Dr. Shapiro and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner and of course Gail's sister Elaine Katz having no closure it kills you join us as we try to solve a 35 year old cold case It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. 
Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. And then when we look at numbers around race and disability, the numbers don't paint a good picture either. Uh, Several studies indicate that of Black Americans killed by police, somewhere between one-third to one-half have a disability and or are experiencing a mental illness episode. Um, This is one of the reasons behind the disabled Black Lives Matter march that took place. And if we look at the 2017 Women's March, it fell short in terms of being inclusive and accessible in a lot of ways. Um, And Sonia Huber and a few others organized the Disability March that same year and over 3,000 attended. Uh, it still had some limitations for those who could attend. And this is part of an ongoing conversation too in the activism space of making activism and advocacy more accessible. So all of this is very important to keep in mind. Historically, disability activism has touched people of all experiences and disability activists have been extremely significant in a wide range of issues from women's higher education access, sexuality, motherhood, equal opportunity, and political representation Um, So I think this, seeing what these activists, um, some some that we mentioned, some that we saw in research, what they've done and how intersectional and all the ways it's touched all these different movements is very powerful. And we just don't hear about it enough. Like we don't hear about it at all. Yeah. And I know like as more and more advocates and activists in the disabled communities come out, they're getting so much backlash as well. It's just a sad result of so many conspiracy theories about who's saying what and coming after what. And it's an intersectional level because many of the disabled activists that I follow are intersectional level. They are queer, they are uh, marginalized people of color, black women, and they are attacked tenfold. So it's not just Mm -hmm. one, it's three things. And then it's, it's so disheartening that they have to put so much fight in just to be heard um, and just to be able to say, I want to be treated as human, point blank. Mm-hmm. And that the, my disability is not a downfall. It's a part of who I am and this is who I am. And that's been a whole conversation in changing that look because as we were talking about earlier, the media has never painted a pretty picture. It's always been a sad, tragic case and or something that is to be mourned or hated or like wanting to change. And so many of these people are like, no, I, I love who I am. Kia Brown was a beautiful story in what she was saying and being t- confident in who she is because she's for so, so long told that she needs to think that there's something wrong with her when in actuality that is not the case. This whole shaming has lasted so long and it's still there, even with people's languages that need to be changed significantly for us to make any steps. And it's so sad that we have to just say language alone mm-hmm. can make an impact. That's where we are in 2022. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah again, it's just very condescending in a lot of ways. And also, um, when I was researching this, I was researching um, journal entries from people in the disability community about the ADA and why it mattered. And some of the the big threads I saw were like, it was nice to know I would generally be able to get into a building or get out of a building, which wasn't the case before, and that they couldn't legally uh, be fired or not considered due to their disability. And those are things that yeah, those should be basic rights. Like, right. Uh, so it is seeing 
Again, there are problems with the ADA, absolutely. But it was a massive accomplishment. It was a huge deal. It was historic. And a lot of it was due to women and a lot of women of color um, who are still working, who are still doing this work um, and still trying to be heard, but also inspiring um, like a new generation. All right. So that's happy. I'm glad to see that. And there are certainly, there's so many great um, activists you, you can follow online. And Kia Brown is that book. Like if you haven't read it, if you didn't do our book club one, go read it. It's excellent. Right. And yeah, I think we need to make sure that we're not shying away from these conversations, even though, again, we want to make sure that we are talking about these in the way that the activists have framed it. We need to make sure that we are following their lead and listening to how they go. And things change. Things have changed over time, and we mm-hmm. need to accept that and change with them. And um, that's what I think is one of the biggest keys is to listen to mm-hmm. the activists and make sure we're understanding what's happening because they are the same one that says, yeah, the ADA looks good, but here are the reasons this is not working. And we need to make sure we understand why it's not working and come mm-hmm. to that point in cre- correcting it. Because honestly, even though it was such a big impact, it's not being enforced in a lot of areas. And we see it. We see oftentimes, thank God to social media, how often that falls through, whether it's at uh, clubs or airplanes or restaurants, how little they do to actually say they are a part of it other than just to put it on their site to follow the law, but Mm -hmm. not actually following the law. And so we have to be on our toes to make sure that we are following and listening to the right leaders. And also, I do want to, I'm not seeing this film and I do want to see it because I know Judith Human had a big impact with the Crip Camp. Have you seen this? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I feel like we need to bring it out as an extra uh-huh. Feminist Movie Friday soon. Okay. Um, because yeah. I I've definitely need to be, it's been on my list and I haven't gotten to it, but something to see and celebrate as well. Yes, absolutely. I would 100% be behind that. Yeah, so this was just our quick rundown of the ADA and the women involved. And as we said, there's a bunch of other stuff um, we could pursue based on this and we would love to. But also, yeah, if there are people you want us to shout out, um, movements, whatever it is related to this, please let us know. Uh, you can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I never told you is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.